Yo, what's good, my fellow ballers? Welcome back to another episode of Ballin' with Tyler Todd. You NBA Finals Game 3 action. Did the Bucks make enough impact to take a game back from the Suns? More on that later. The All-Star break is upon us in baseball, and boy, do we have some good matchups in the All-Star game. And also, the Home Run Derby was last night. Just guys put on a show. It was, it was incredible, man. But stay tuned for more right here on Episode 45 of Bomb with Tyler Todd. Starting off with Game 3 of the NBA Finals, like I said previously on last week's episode, the Bucks needed to go home, reset, and try and take at least one of the two games during the homestand. They did just that in Game 3. The Bucks were going to win by a big margin, a final score of 120-100. to 100. Phoenix still owns a 2-1 lead, but Milwaukee has scratched their way into the win column. The Suns really did struggle in this game as they only shot 29% from three. And all three of their main scores, CP3, D-Book, and DeAndre, in all finished with less than 20 points. Most of the time when that happens, especially for them, they don't play good, so I understand why they lost. But also, the Bucks played tremendous defense and played great on-ball defense against Booker and CP3. For the Suns, they were just outmatched in this game. The cohesion was not there. It was not alive in this one. On the night for the Suns, CP3 finished with 19 points and 9 assists. Booker finished with 10 points, 6 rebounds, and 2 assists. And DeAndre Ayton finished with 18 points and 9 rebounds. So, not too strong there. So, I don't know. I, I don't think the Suns were cocky in this game or in this series, but they really did not play a good game last night, like at all. A tough outing for them, in all honesty. And the, on the other hand, the Bucks shot well from the field, 47.8% but still are struggling from three, 38.9% on the night. I don't think they're going to fix it at all this series as much as I want them to, and I keep saying it. I'm not going to speak it into existence because they just don't. <laughs> and it's been a long time. But anyway, Giannis on the night, huge night, 41 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists. Oh, mind you, he also scored 42 points in Thursday night's game. If they win the series, he's going to get MVP, and he's so very deserving of it. Drew Holiday on the night with a 21-piece to go along with five rebounds and nine assists. And lastly, Chris Middleton rounding out the list, 18 points, seven rebounds, and six assists. When Giannis has a huge night like he had, all you need is for your other scoring contributors in this case, it really has been Holiday-Middleton the whole playoffs, is to play an above-average game, and they did exactly that. So I can really see Milwaukee taking game four and tying the series up taking Game 5 back to Phoenix, which is really going to put the pressure on the Suns because winning two straight and then losing two straight and then going back home is a big thing to try and accomplish. So if the series is tied after Game 4, we're in for an extremely wild finish. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like the series, if Milwaukee wins tomorrow, it it's going to be popcorn, movie-worthy. It's going to be so good. But anyway, basketball, we will be back for another time. Hopefully that Wednesday night game is killer. We go into baseball, and this time in our second slot, midway season mark is upon us. The All-Star break is this week. The home run derby was last night. But what I want to look at right as of right now is the NL West and try and look at like you know divisions that have impressed the most. And I think every MLB expert, MLB fan, MLB player, which division has impressed the most in the National League. And by far, it's the National League West. And like... There's no doubt about it, but here's why and more. So this has been by far the most exciting division in all of baseball, and, and that's just plain and simple. And did anyone expect the Giants to be in first? 
question mark, the Giants in first, and then to have the best record in all of baseball? Bruh, I tell you one thing, I was one of those people. (laughs) This has been the Dodgers division for years, and yet the Giants have played tremendous baseball, and I feel that they are... They are not only slowing down anytime soon, but they're going to kind of continue that pace. I say that, but I hope they just slow down. But as you look at the division as a whole and where the teams stand currently at the midway mark through the 2021 season in first in San Francisco Giants with a record of 57 and 32, seven and three in their last 10 games with Kevin Gosman and Anthony Desclafani. The Giants have one of the best one, two punches in the National League rotations. On the season, Gosman has posted a 1.78 ERA, which ranks second in all of Major League Baseball, a 9-3 record, 30 walks, 133 strikeouts, and a whip of 0.820. A total of 18 games played, with 14 of them being quality starts, which is tied for second in all of Major League Baseball. Now Desclafani, whom they picked up from the Reds in the 2020 offseason to boost rotation, has done a fantastic job as their number two a 2.68 ERA, a 10-3 record, with his 10 wins tied for second overall in all of baseball, 29 walks, 99 strikeouts, and a 0.997 whip in 18 games played. So pitching has been very good for them. And on the back end, they have Johnny Cueto, who actually, even though he has an ERA above four, he's been, when you have guys later in the rotation like that, yes, you kind of want them, you know, the expectation is, hey, you know, we want to just get a lot of innings out of you and, like, whatever you give up, you give up. So, I mean, Cueto's been playing okay baseball. I mean, it's been nice to have a guy like Cueto on the backstop in there in the rotation. So, it's been nice to see that. Aside from pitching, Brandon Crawford and Buster Posey, both were selected as 2021 NL All-Stars along with Kevin Gosman as well. Crawford and Posey have both played great this year. I mean, it's one of the main reasons why they're playing so well. Posey on the season, his seventh All-Star selection, a slash this year of 328, 547, and 968 to go along with 12 home runs and 28 RBIs. Even at the age of 34, Posey is still one of the best catchers in the league, and he just shows it out every game and shows that why he is the best defense and the bat. Like, incredible. Brandon Crawford, third all-star selection, a slash this year of 289, 556, and 921 to go along with 18 home runs and 58 RBIs. In my opinion, I do think they're very legit and are playing tremendous baseball. But like I said earlier, even though I did say that I don't think they're going to slow down, I, I kind of take it back. I feel like this may just be the beginning of a season that they possibly could lose. I think they're one of the teams that just had a very, very hot start. And to me, the Dodgers are the clear favorites for the division. And I completely agree with that, even even with the absence of Trevor Bauer, Dustin May, Corey Seager, and a handful of other guys that have been hurt the whole year. The Giants are playing hot, but to me, I think they will simmer down once this all-star break is over. I'm not saying once the break is over, immediately they just start sucking because they are playing. They're still going to carry some of that that good play into the after the end of the break. So I just feel like it's still... Like, it's still no doubt the Dodgers division and the Giants, you know, maybe just have had that lucky start. Things have been going their way kind of, but no doubt they are they are one of the best teams in the National League by far, and they will be in the playoffs. I just don't see them finishing first in the division. Now, moving on to the second team in the division, the L.A. Dodgers, right now with a record of 56-35, and 6-4 and four in their last 10 games. Where do I even begin with this roster? All the talent in the world, power, 
speed, contact, defense, pitching. They got the whole entree, all right? The starting rotation has been outstanding with four of their five starting pitchers all having more than 100 strikeouts each. That's pretty rad to have that. Walker Buehler is the number one ace on the roster, posting a 2.36 ERA, 9-1 record, 26 walks, 114 strikeouts, and a whip of 0.918. He doesn't get any better than that, dude. Like, seriously, he's just hucking on the mound this year. Even with the recent emergence of the Trevor Bauer sex scandals, before all that nonsense, the dude was pitching lights out. A 2.59 ERA, 8-5 record, 37 walks, 137 strikeouts, which is fourth in MOB, a whip of 1.003, and 14 quality starts out of 18, which is tied for second in all of baseball. Do not forget that they also have former Cy Young Award winner Clayton Kershaw, and then also Julio Urias and Tony Gonsolin. Stacked starting rotation. And Dustin Mays out with the Tommy John. Imagine him in there too. Like, oh my gosh, it doesn't get any better than that. Aside from the starting pitching, their closer, Kenley Jansen, has been solid. 1.24 ERA, 21 saves, which ranks third in MLB, 22 walks, 41 strikeouts, and a whip of 1.018. So moving on from pitching now, the starting nine is oozing with talent, and even though they have had slow starts for Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, the team has a solid contributor at every single position. Justin Turner and Max Muncie being the most notable so far on the season, they have both been selected to the All-Star Game this year along with Mookie and Walker Buehler. Turner on the season, a slash of 307, 500, and 894, 15 home runs, 50 RBIs, and 94 hits, which leads the Dodgers. Dude is 36 and still is playing at an all-star level, literally. Max Muncy, call this guy Mr. Discipline because he always is walking rather than hitting. A slash of 270, 559, and 972 on the year to go along with 19 home runs, 52 RBIs, 69 hits, and a total of 58 walks on the season. All in all, this team has everything it needs to make a World Series run once again, even without the big-name guys. The whole team is big-name guys, so it doesn't matter even if they're missing a couple. Dodgers will be in first at the end of the year, no doubt in my mind, and it's going to be pretty interesting to see how they fare in the playoffs against my Padres, who are up next in third. The San Diego Padres with a record of 53-40, and 4-6 and six in their last 10 games, my boys were in first place at one point during the season, went on a couple of big win streaks, but they've really struggled as of late before the break. The team, although, is fantastic and has played great baseball so far. If you look at the record, 53-40, and 40, they literally could be first place in multiple divisions in the American League and National League, so I'm not at all worried with how they're playing. Just really, they're playing obviously crappy as of lately, but as overall, I'm not concerned. The addition of Hugh Darvis and Joe Musgrove in the starting rotation has been outstanding. Can't say the same for Blake Snell, who truly has been underwhelming this season, along with Chris Paddock. For Darvis, another all-star selection for him this year, but he will not be participating in the game this year, unfortunately, due to some left hip inflammation. And 18 starts this year, a 7-3 record, 3.09 ERA, 24 walks, 125 strikeouts, and a whip of 1.000. For Joe Musgrove, no, no, Joe. 18 games played, a 5-7 and seven record, a 2.93 ERA, 25 walks, 116 strikeouts, and a whip of 0.946. And honestly, 
For both of them, their ERAs were actually much lower, but in their most recent starts, specifically Darvish, he got shelled for six through two, and then Mushkov got owned for like five through four in the Cincy game, so their ERAs have skyrocketed. It was much lower than that before, but regardless of the ERA, they still are pitching at a, obviously at an all-star level, really pitching well. The bullpen has also pitched lights out this year with Austin Adams, Craig Stammen, and Mark Melanson leading the bullpen crew. Adams on the year, 40 appearances, 1.71 ERA, 19 walks, 48 strikeouts, and a whip of 1.042. Gnarly sidestep for him, but he leads the league in hits by pitch with 14, so not strong on that part of his game. But other than that, he's been extremely solid. He is a freaking swing and miss slider that literally is so gnarly. One of the more violent deliveries as a reliever. The guy just gets up there and strikes people out. It's pretty awesome. Craig Stammen, the old workhorse, 37-year-old, still getting it done. 40 appearances, 2.89 ERA, 7 walks, 52 strikeouts, and a whip of 1. Has had a couple rough years for us, but has really picked it up as of late. Like, he had some awful stat like a couple years ago. I'm not sure if it was 18 or 19, but had like back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs in one game. It was just awful. So, But, yeah, he's definitely... He's definitely picked it up. He's been actually one of the more reliable, one of really the more reliable, excuse me, relievers in our pen. And then lastly, Mark Melanson, Mark the Shark, leads all of MLB with a total of 27 saves, an impressive ERA of 2.04, 16 walks, 31 strikeouts, and a whip of 1.160. For a 36-year-old to be slinging it like he does, beyond stoked for what we got like what we got for him in the offseason like what we're getting from him at 36 like it's pretty awesome now moving on from pitching we got to talk about the offense and the star power in the lineup we've got plenty of it first on the list come on you know who it's going to be Fernando Tatis Jr. I don't even know where to begin what a year he's having NL MVP worthy so far the face of baseball is hitting a slash of 286 656 in an OPS of 1.020 to go along with 28 home runs 60 RBIs 78 hits and 20 stolen bases. It's, you can't even make it up. It's so crazy. His first all-star selection this year, representing the San Diego Padres as a National League starting shortstop and leading off for the National League in the all-star game. Let's go, baby. Representing SD right. Let's go. Next up, Jake Cronenworth. Incredible year for the second baseman so far. Jack of all trades gets it done in all facets of the game. Right now, has a slash of 276, 459, and 809 to go along with 12 home runs, 34 RBIs, 94 hits, which leads the team, and four stolen bases. Also, his first all-star selection this year could not be more stoked from the kid from Michigan who used to be a relief pitcher. Pretty crazy, dude. And lastly, a late add to the NL all-star roster due to Ronald Acuna Jr. injuring his knee. Manny Machado enters his fifth all-star selection this year on the year 267, 479, and 833 to go along with 15 home runs, 60 RBIs, 81 hits, and 9 stolen bases. The infield is stacked. The outfield has been subpar. Even though Tommy Pham picked it up at one point, he's still declining. Trent Grisham is kind of starting to increase a little bit. Will Myers is doing well. Myers, he's always hovering in that 250 to 260 range. Can get you some nice power and speed. The bullpen has been working real hard. And the starting rotation still needs some work. Really need to see Paddock really step it up in that fourth spot and we as Snell for what we gave up for him in the second spot for him to be in that spot and having an ERA over four it's very awful so it needs work 
But for the Padres, I believe they finished second in the NOS by the end of 2021. It is the Dodgers division, like I've said multiple times. But I see SD taking a big leap come second race of the 2021 season. And that's it. That's finito. There you have it, folks. The NOS top three teams. And yes, I you know I wanted to add in the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, but they literally are way out of playoff contention. Literally, the Diamondbacks have the worst record in baseball, so I didn't feel it was necessary to add them in there. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. But the second half of the season is going to be wild for sure. So now, no more baseball. Sorry, baseball. We still love you. Actually, we can still talk about baseball. The home run derby was last night. Shohei Otani, who I thought was going to win. I was talking all that ish. I thought they were going to win. Clearly, we're going to win. And they did not happen, unfortunately. He got beaten the first round by, by Juan Soto. The first round was amazing. Pete Alonso hit 35 in the first round. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely smoking Salvador Perez. And Salvador Perez actually hit like 27, 28 homers too. He actually had, in his first round, he hit more than Olsen. He hit more than Matt Olsen, Trey Mancini, Juan Soto, and everyone else. Literally, absolutely crushed it. So, I don't know. I felt really bad for him. But Pete Alonso would end up winning his second derby title back-to-back because 2020, they don't have it because of COVID. The dude just looked natural up there, literally hitting balls over 500 feet. is absolutely incredible. The longest one of the night was 520 from Juan Soto. Absolute just nuke of, of freaking bomb. Trevor Story hit one 518. Homer and Derby's awesome, dude, and the All-Star game is tonight. So that's what, more importantly, what I'm excited for. But sorry, back to what I was saying previously. We're moving baseball, moving on from baseball. Now back into football. We got to talk about football again. It's back into the show. We got to talk about my Chargers and the AFC West. So in this particular fashion... Football is coming up very soon, obviously, and I'm a Charger fan. I want to talk about the AFC West. But in the division, where do the Chargers rank in the category of edge rushers? And where does everyone else lie? Here's the top four rankings for the AFC edge rushers right now. So first it's the Broncos. I mean, I'm not honestly not surprised here. The starters with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, they're both insane. I, I see them being here. I don't, I, there really is no argument. I could say the Chargers, who are second on the list, for their starters, it's Joey Bosa and Nchenna Nwosu. They're only second because Melvin Ingram's not on the team anymore, so that's a bummer, and I wish like they would be first. But for the Broncos, Miller was lost for all of last season, keeping him from heading to his seventh consecutive Pro Bowl, so Chubb decided he would go make the Pro Bowl instead. Basically, the Broncos have bookend Pro Bowl edge rushers, and that's Pro Bowl edge rushers, and that's plain and simple. And of course, Miller is a lock for the Hall of Fame. It's literally, it's no joke. That guy's insane. Some believe at the age of 32, his best years are behind him, but I don't think so. He's still, he's still getting after it. For the Chargers, like I just mentioned earlier, Bosa and Nuosu. If if Miller is on the downhill on his, of his career, and that's a big if, then Bosa takes the crown as the top pass rusher in the division. Literally, the guy is so insane. He literally is, dude, he's so crazy. He's going to embark on his next sixth NFL season in pursuit of his fourth Pro Bowl nod. He led the division in sacks last year with seven and a half. And QB hits with 27. Bosa won't have Melvin Ingram on the other side, but Nuosu is solid as well. The former second-round pick is entering the final year of his rookie deal. He is coming off of a career-best four-and-a-half sack season and will be looking to put up big numbers in order to try and cash in with the second contract and with the new staff, defensive staff, and the new staff under Brandon Staley. I think he's going to be an absolute monster. Now, third on the list, the Raiders. Their starters, Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe. Full disclosure, had one of the starters been former top pick, Claylon Farrell. The Raiders will be dead last in this rankings. Farrell has been an immense disappointment as an edge rusher with just six and a half sacks over his first two seasons. 
His fourth-round draft classmate, Max Crosby, has been a revelation, putting up 17 sacks in the same amount of time and not even being a full starter. So, dude, that's, like, pretty gnarly. So, Crosby is having to do all the work around the edge himself. The team added Ngakwe to the mix, who is a pretty solid edge rusher. They got him from Jacksonville. He may not be, you know, known for, like, being an amazing pass rusher, but, like, it definitely has helped the Raiders bulk up in the offseason on the defensive side. And lastly, the San, San Francisco, geez, I'm thinking of the NLS, my gosh. The Kansas City Chiefs, their starters, Frank Clark and Taco Charlton. Clark has most of the talent in this deal with 48 sacks and over 100 QB hits over his six-year career, though he's currently facing some serious trouble, which I'm literally going to talk about in my next segment. The season's in jeopardy, and he's obviously not going to play, so I'll get into that. I'll get into that shortly. Charlton doesn't add much to the mix. The former first-round pick has just 11 sacks and 20 and 20 tackles for loss over four NFL seasons with three different teams. Man, that's pretty – I don't know how you could say that sucks in another way because that really does. But anyway, so that's the ranking right there. I really think the Chargers should be first, but everyone's just going to go with Vaughn Miller. And Man, I'm just excited for football, man. It's been so – football just goes away and you feel like you lose a party, really. <laughs> But anyway, so back to Frank Clark, still on the topic of him. The dude is in big trouble. The man is facing up to three years in prison on felony weapon possession charge. And the news just came out recently on a report from Yahoo Sports and writer Jack Bauer. The article stated that the Pro Bowl defensive end was reportedly arrested last month after police officers allegedly spotted an Uzi submachine gun sticking out of a duffel bag in his Lamborghini during a routine traffic stop for a vehicle code violation. Clark was initially arrested and booked in a, in a Los Angeles County jail with a $35,000 bond, then released alongside the three other passengers of the car. Later in the article, Clark would go on to say that the gun was not his, but rather a member of his security team. And if this news is shocking to some people, the dude has had legal issues dating all the way back to 2014, starting with the domestic battery arrest when he was at Michigan. He was removed from the team from his actions. He pleaded guilty in that instance. Then, he pleaded guilty to a felony home invasion charge after he admitted he had stolen a laptop from a floor mate in the dorm he resided in. Dude, I, I bring him up because the, that, Casey list, that Casey list of edge rushers no longer includes him. Like, he's not in that mix anymore. And I felt this was some exponential sports news to share with my fellow ballers. <laughs> in all honesty... It is sad to see players constantly get caught up with the law, and it seems like Clark just cannot get out of his own way. A tremendous athlete and football player, but man, making some bonehead moves. I just wish the players knew to relish the opportunity of being an athlete more, and I'm not saying he doesn't at all, and I'm not saying he doesn't because I know that guy does because he probably loves being a football player more than anything. But when you're a professional athlete, there is an expectation for you. You come in, and contribute to this franchise while making millions of dollars. You are looked at as a role model and a leader of a team and a city. These guys forget the gravity of their choices and really make poor decisions with their money, time, and with the law. All I ask is for players to understand their impact on the sports community and how much it damages it when you make poor decisions. Leave all that garbage behind and just move on. <laughs> But anyway, before the rant continues any further, that is all the time we got for today. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. A jam-packed episode. That's how we do it, baby. Make sure to watch the All-Star game tonight. It's going to be a doozy. But more... 
But besides that, stay tuned for Friday's episode. I will catch you all then. Later.